0: everyone, JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer, joining you on a podcast today. We thank you for the download. we kind of happy to be sitting here together talking baseball before uh, before I head out to Arizona and get to see a lot of sun and more importantly, see a lot of top prospects. But before we jump into that, we do want to thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcasts are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com. And when you go there, visit Baseballism.com and enter the offer code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, and you will get 20% off of your order. And as you've seen, if you watch any of our Facebook lives, a lot of really cool gear there to uh, to check out, a lot of new stuff for 2018. They keep rolling out new stuff, so I'm kind of hoping uh, to stop by the Baseballism store when, I, uh, when I'm out in Arizona. But Kyle, we're talking today, we're talking rebuilds, and... Uh, I'm kind of this is a fun topic because you really dove into we looked at this is the year of the tank or the year of the let's be to use a uh, the 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 terms that the commissioner's office would prefer. This is the year of the rebuild because every team goes in cycles, and we just happened that, oh, one third of the league is in a down cycle right now. So some you, of it by their own choosing. and some of it by you know by natural. yes, but um, but so with that, you really kind of dove into this and you dove into it a couple of different ways. I thought one of the most fascinating things you did is you talked to former GMs who've been involved in rebuilds going back to the 90s and kind of what they learned through the process. And especially, you focused on GMs whose rebuilds didn't go, you know, no rebuild goes exactly the way you want, but some of the rebuilds didn't go, didn't complete the way they wanted. And that gave some very useful. Hints, tips, lessons learned to carry over into current rebuilds. I think one of the big things for every, you know, everyone
1: cites, oh, the Astros and Cubs did it. See, it works. And you go back and look, for every successful rebuild, there's one that didn't work. And I think a lot of people don't always appreciate that. They assume that, oh, hey, you know, they point to the example of confirmation by Look at the Astros. Look at the Cubs. Look at the Royals. Well, reality, no one talks about the early 2000s Pirates. No one's talking about the early 2000s Royals. No one's talking about the mid-2000s Marlins. Uh, rebuilds that, in some cases, if you want to go back to some of the ones in the 90s, we can talk more about who kind of did everything right. They brought up homegrown cores. They traded for their, the spots they were weak. They had all these little mm-hmm. things that should have amounted to more, and it didn't. And so I thought it was interesting to go back and just kind of look at, okay, where what are some of the things that we've learned over time? Because... There are successes. What The reason a lot of teams are trying rebuilds is it's not that rebuilds do work, it's they can work. And a lot, and there are a lot of successes to point to. You just also have to be wary of the ones that you know, didn't work. And there are teams... Look, 10 teams are rebuilding right now. A lot of them are aiming for the same windows. Not all 10 of them are going to win the World Series. Just but, basic math. But But
0: that's, well, that's an interesting question, though. Because what do we define when we talk about this? If we're saying that a team had a successful rebuild... If the only way that you could define success is winning a World Series... And, and that's not how we define it. Right, purposes, you that, then. right.
1: So for these purposes, you know, another example of a successful rebuild would be the Pirates post-2009, where it resulted in... You won 98 three, games. And they won for three, three, three straight postseason appearances. The Indians, as of right now, have not won a World Series. They began a full-scale rebuild 2008-2009. Uh, CeCe Sabathia, Cliff Lee, Victor Martinez were the main guys traded. There were a lot of others. They got a lot of high picks. And also they haven't won a World Series, but it's hard to argue they're not one of the best franchises in baseball right now. That's a success. The A's tore everything down post-2007. Elected three more postseason appearances, three in a row, 12 to 14. So those are successes. It's not just about winning a World Series. Right. I,
0: I always think of the, – the funny thing is is I do think a lot of fans – the point I want to make on that is, is I think there's a lot of fans who look at the Pirates and say that they failed because – Run that they just had, and and another one that goes in with that is is you look at the Reds who basically built at the end of the last decade, that and then you had the Cueto, Bruce, Votto, all those you know Bailey, all those guys, and they they actually had success, but they never won a playoff series. And if you don't win playoff series, even if you win ninety five games, it's one of those things where that that's that is deemed by many. As a failure, whereas the Giants, who won, which, hey, the goal is to win World Series. They won three of them this decade. But two of those times, they were wild card teams who got there and won it. They get deemed as, you know, as they should be, an outstanding success. But the reality of it is, is over the course of 162 game season, we have teams that win 95 plus. If you can do that and go multiple playoff appearances, you had a really good team.
1: No question. And I think some of the absolutism of, you know, you're either winning World Series or you're a failure is not correct. No one should ever look at three consecutive playoff mm-hmm. appearances. When you go on a full scale rebuild mm-hmm. and, all you, and quote unquote, all you get out of it is three straight playoff appearances, that is a successful rebuild. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's where, you know, even with that, there are teams out there who go through rebuild and all that ends up happening is you have five more seasons. Of 85 to 90 plus losses, and I think that's where we say, okay, something didn't work. Here's what did or didn't, and uh, some some common themes came up, and ones that have been repeated. And uh, I guess I want to start. You and I had a conversation. So, so look, there's never a absolute. This will always work. This no. always won't. There's this is always the case. There's always you know tweaks and exceptions. But generally speaking, there are some common themes. Of the, you know, the five themes we were able to kind of boil down to about, okay, rebuilds that work or didn't work or what needs to happen to ensure they quote-unquote work, the strongest correlation one, the one that had the fewest exceptions for, was that when it's time to strike, you have to add a veteran piece. Every single team that tried to, hey, we just have our homegrown core and tried to win only with that, never reached what they were trying to. Maybe They got maybe one season of a wild card, but then they were then they fell back to earth. They were never able to follow it up. Or even to some degrees, maybe it's, they had two good seasons, but their 91-win seasons and their first round and outs. To get to that, okay, we're, you know, the window, because every team's aiming for a window of five to six years of competitiveness, you know, goes beyond just first round and out. That's what you're aiming for. And the teams that were able to achieve that were all ones that when the time was right, they had their young core, they brought it to the majors, and then they made sure to use some of their prospect depth for trades. They opened up the wallet. The teams that never made that final two- or three-piece additions, whether it's in prospects or money, they fell short. And that was the strongest one. And so that's why, you know again, whether you want to talk about the Astros, they don't win the World Series without Justin Verlander, Brian McCann... The Cubs do not win the World Series without opening their wallets for John Lester. There's always a final well, piece they, or two that you
0: have right. to make. I, one thing that I think with that that you see pretty regularly with this is when a team makes that breakthrough year, I, and again, this is a generality. I'm not saying it's happened in every case. But when a team makes that has that breakthrough year, that year that they go from being non-contender to a contender, often. Because they usually have, when we're talking about these rebuilds, they have a great farm system at that time, and so there is some desire at that point to say we can win it with what we have, and to use the Cubs as an example, especially use the Astros as an example. The Astros went to the, you know, they were a wild card team, and they didn't really make a whole lot of significant moves at the de- trade deadline because well, they were they,
1: they had added Carlos Galvez, which yeah. was which was one significant, but which just going to follow up that one's often not enough. Then.
0: They went into the next season though and saying we made the wild card natural progression we're going to go take another step forward the next year. And they they really were kind of relying on a lot of homegrown talent to fill the the needs they had. Took a step back. And then the next year they actually did go out. They they were very aggressive not just in acquiring Justin Verlander in August, but also in bringing in Brian McCann Before and bringing go. in, you know, so so I think multiple I... guys. And so the point being though is this Compare We talk about the Pirates were a success, but the Pirates have talked about that they don't want to narrow their window by going all in in a season. They want to kind of have a steady level of contention. I agree with you in what you've found, which is, no, you absolutely at some point have to sacrifice the future to increase your chances of winning now.
1: And it's a balance. It's something where if a team goes all in and trades every prospect they have, that's not a great tact. Hoarding every prospect you have is also not a great tact. And again, just looking and sometimes it's not a matter of trading prospects. Sometimes it's a matter of if you have the ability to open up the wallet a little bit. Whether that's signing John Lester to you know the big deal the Cubs did, or you know sometimes smaller you know smaller moves that just improve your team a little bit. I think it goes back to the basics of to build a championship team, you have to acquire talent from all avenues. That means you have to have you know a really good young homegrown core but there's also going to be times where the prospects you expected to pan out don't the players that you expected to take a step forward for whatever reason didn't someone gets hurt and it's having the flexibility to make an addition or an adjustment or in some cases an upgrade that is going to enhance your chances of, of being a championship level club and even though you know we talk about in the case of you know you mentioned those pirates teams that never really went out and added, you no know, piece again. We talk about the Indians. They got good. They said, "Hey, let's go get a big slugger, at Mike Napoli, followed by Edwin Encarnacion." Let's go the, acquire Andrew Miller. There's always there's always something you have to do to supplement your homegrown group. Now you should start with that homegrown group, if, if especially for a smaller market team. There's no question about that. But expecting it alone to get you to the promised land is not going to do the trick. And that's why a lot of people were, were screaming about the Padres signing Eric Hosmer, and we and. We can argue whether or not is the right pick, and there are, times that, there are times where these big signings won't work. But the thought process is what certain people seem to be attacking, and that that's incorrect empirically. The thought, the thought process of you shouldn't sign a big free agent, you shouldn't trade any prospect— Again, you have to pick the right prospects to trade and you have to time no, but, it right. But, but doing it a year before you expect your window to open is perfectly perfectly reasonable, especially or, when it doesn't cost you draft two, a high draft pick.
0: Or two, if you're if, if Hosmer, if the Padres still are the team like if you say that they're non-competitive in 18, which they, they probably they in take in a step forward not, in 19, but then they're a playoff contender in 20,
1: which is the expectation which is the timeline well, they're hoping for.
0: They have their first baseman who will be their first baseman in 2020. And we've seen this. We saw this criticism with the Royals back when they acquired Shields and Davis. And it's like, no, 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 they're, window, they're not in their window yet. They're not in their window. And, well,
1: And the way they were in their window was they... And in one sense, the Royals were ahead of the Potters because mm-hmm. the Royals had in 2013 won 86 games. So they'd already started that upturn and they said, okay... We need to go out and add, and they did, and a lot of people yelled at them for the Will Myers trade, Will Myers, Jayco de getting back Wade Davis and James Shields. They don't make the World Series without James Shields and Wade Davis. They don't win the World Series in 2015 without Wade Davis. And by the way, the Royals, who also this big homegrown group, you know, Hosmer and Bustos and, you know, Cain and Escobar who came over as, as minor leaguers in the Granke deal. Yes, they did all that. They don't win the World Series without training for Ben Zobrist and Johnny Cueto midseason 2015. They don't get to the World Series in 2014 without trading for James Shields and Wade Davis, and it cost them good prospects. But it was worth it. And I think that's, again, it's not a matter of, oh, you should, as soon as you have three or four good homegrown players, you should trade the rest of your prospects. No, that's not it at all. You have to be smart about the timing. You have to be smart about understanding what your real window is and an honest evaluation of your franchise. Because if you do make a trade too early, it can also short-circuit you. But this idea that you can win without ever having to make a move like that, which I think we've seen from certain fans who yell anytime a prospect is traded for an established star or they wring their teeth about it. It's just empirically wrong. When I, I was even, I mean, I, I had just from years of covering baseball, writing about at the major league level, the minor league level, and seeing it, you, you kind of know that. But when I really dug into the data and looked at the historical examples and seeing just how strong of a correlation that was, it even surprised me a little bit. I mean it's it's really you can really make it as simple as if you have a young homegrown core and you're on the rise, it will not bring you anything, uh, anything beyond maybe one maybe a second playoff appearance in which you're out in the first round. Unless when the time is right, you're willing to go get frontline type veteran players and I with either dollars or prospects. There's going to be a point you're going to have to do it, and if you refuse to do it, your dreams of a successful rebuild will fall short. Period.
0: So you can't find an example going back, because you went back, what, 10, 15 years? 20,
1: 20 20. plus, 20 plus. Um, I mean, the the closest one you can kind of get to, but it's a little bit of a different situation because they weren't really rebuilding. They were just terrible, and then something clicked is the 2008 Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, again, they were never really— Right, they there. didn't go out and, and get a whole lot of... They didn't. But not. what but what they did do... Well, it's not that they didn't really go out and get things thing. They didn't really trade that much away. They did a rebuild as you have a group. You've been no, successful no, but, thing, but when you say, though,
0: because your, your point, though, is, is that you have to go out and acquire veterans.
1: But here's what the Rays did. And so they didn't go get standout veterans. But the 2008 Rays... They did open up their pocketbook a little bit for Akinori Iwamura, who played a role, a, a bigger role. Yeah, no, that's a pretty modest role, though. He's a starting second baseman, 274, 350 on base. It plugged a hole that they had had and, and, right. and improved it. They, they brought in Cliff Floyd, who that year, the they of the World Series, 804 OPS, 111 OPS+. plus. They did go out. So they didn't go completely, hey, we're just stick with our homegrown guys. They weren't afraid to go out. And make a sign. Sometimes it was a minor signing. None of these were guys they really opened up the wallet for, you know, substantially. But they did they did cost money. Um, you know, you think about Matt Gars, it's a little bit of a different situation, but they traded good prospects for him. He had come up in Minnesota, he was past rookie eligibility, he'd had a, a hundred hundred and thirty, hundred and thirty pro innings at that point, so he was still young. But, you know, he established, But, hey, so, but they but they were if they you traded, said arguing, they again, that, that would Young. be. They traded Delman uh, Young. They traded, got Jason. They traded Delman Young. They traded Brendan Harris. So I think the 2008 Rays are probably the closest one. But even they did make some, open up their wallet a little bit to make improvements. Again, Akinori, Iwamora, and Cliff Floyd, no one's going to remember those as, you know, enormous, you know, superstars. But they strengthened the team they had. And both were good contributors to that 2008 team, you know. Cliff was thirty-five. Iwamura, obviously, came over from Japan, was twenty-nine. There was still a move that was made, and so I think that's the point. You are going to have to do something, and in this case, you know, a couple but, million, and and, a
0: couple million dollars for the raise, it's something. And but, and more importantly, most of the time, you're going to have to do something significant. And that, but the other thing I, th- I think that's worth noting with that is, is that we've seen in recent years, you can do significant. There is, the, there are the trades that have cost a lot. But like you look at the Justin Verlander trade, and they did give up. They gave up. They gave up legitimate talent in that. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, you know when you're going to have Verlander for multiple more years, you, the, the, we've talked about it. We talked about the trade deadline last year. The uh, the price of talent to acquire. Significant talent. JD Martinez is a really good player. JD Martinez did not cost the uh, Diamondbacks much to acquire last year. Those kind of things. That the cost is your willingness and, to take on salary gives you a lot of options. And, and some and some of it comes back to you know again
1: teams being honest about where they truly are. Those are two examples that work. You can go back to the Angels acquiring Zach Greinke at midseason one year when they were um, their playoff their, their playoff hopes were not. They weren't. They weren't you know they were in it but it wasn't like they were really really pulling away from it it was like we're acquiring Zach Gregg for half a season cost them Gene Segura didn't do a whole lot for them that year some of it is again you have to be smart about the
0: veterans you acquire I'm not just saying oh go ahead and splurt I'm just I, I thought well, what was most. what I will say one thing the thing that has happened nowadays that does baffle me is, is with fans is no when we're just talking about money if you're a fan of a team and especially with the deals that are happening this year, to to put it in this way, if you're a fan of the Twins, you should be very happy that your ownership is spending the money to acquire a Logan Morrison, to acquire, uh, you know... Addison Reed. Addison, you know, Lance Lance Lynn. You know, which again, and they're not, they are not, they are not forfeiting the future in any way to do that. Right. And on top of that, now again, maybe they made the same offer and they didn't go there, but there are many a team... Who's on that cusp of kind of being in it, but it's like, okay, not many, but there are some, I, I don't know where the Orioles are right now, but I would say that every one of those guys we just listed would be useful for them. And they're kind of going on the minor league uh, contract, you know, who hopes to make the big league roster instead. And,
1: and so, some of that is a reflection of, they have a lot of money tied up in Chris Davis and there's right. different. So some of it's financial, but just kind of circling back. Um, and again, you know, that, that 2008 raise isn't a perfect example. Cause again, they weren't a rebuilding team where they had something. They tore it down to acquire a bunch of prospects. They were just right, but a but, bad you're, but team. you're going
0: you're so your so your point is to put to, to find to refine it more is rebuilding teams at some point need to spend yes. prospects to acquire veterans
1: or or money again or money. if if and it's just tough because in the off season you can spend money mid season. You, you have, have to expect prospects, prospects. That's where it, some of that comes in. But you've got to, there's always final pieces that are not in your organization. You do have to go out and add. And if you don't, you will most likely fall short. Um, so that, that was the strongest lesson, the strongest correlation that I found. So, you know, we go back and we look now, um, you know, our uh, major league season preview is coming out. And we were able to put this together. And, you know, spinning it forward, kind of the state of the rebuilds. Again, now if you're talking about a team like the A's, we just saw the Phillies who think we're, we're close to ready. They went out and added Jake Arrieta. The A's have not made an addition yet. They might have to, but I think but if you're like a that, team... But then
0: the A's are sitting there with a payroll that, to be honest, is— and, and that's... When, you, when I just said about what the Twins were willing to do, right. the A's are a perfect example. Not that their team—I I like a lot of the things they're doing— but they're coming in with an opening they're gonna come in with an opening day payroll that is minuscule. And at the same time, they're a team not very difficult division, but they're a team that you say you could have spent five million or six million here or there and Really, it
1: pays off, and so, so that's where you know we talk about the A's, we talk about the Marlins, we talk about the Rays now. You know, the A's are in the second rebuild after 2014. Again, they made the three straight. I will say they did
0: sign LeCroy, so they did, at they least did one do of something. those moves. They did do I something. think they could have done more, but they did do one at
1: least. And we'll see what they decide to do in whether it's this mid season, next off season, because you can absolutely look at kind of the group they've put together and say you see something really starting to develop on the pitching side, the powerful lineup. But yes, uh, the A's, if you're a fan of the A's, you're a fan of the Marlins, I think you are, you know, or even the fan of the Rays right now, you have to understand that there will come a point where ownership is going to have to open up their wallets a little bit. No matter how good your farm system rankings are, no matter what, you know, how, how much your young talent is really starting to blossom, there will be a point you're going to have to add someone, most likely two or three someone's. And if your ownership is not willing to do that, because, you know, we talk about trading the prospects, but a lot of times trading the prospects and your payroll goes up because you're adding another major league piece oh, yeah. and a half a season of money, if you're not willing to do that, the A's, Marlins, and Rays, you know, in particular, it's a, it's a big uh, risk factor for them, and they, uh, they're going to have to, and if they don't, their dreams of, of a successful rebuild most likely, historically speaking, will not come to fruition.
0: I'll throw another one in there, which is the Braves. And I, because the Braves have had an extremely quiet offseason, we've written about some of the reasons for that. They obviously had a, they didn't have. A, I shouldn't say they had a quiet offseason. On the major league acquiring major league talent, they have had a quiet offseason. But the reality is, is they had a very busy offseason because they had a GM who was fired and banned for baseball, and they have a new GM and all that. But that being said, the important, the most important part of the Braves rebuild now. Over the next year, at this time next year, what you're saying, they have to have started to spend either in talent or money to bring in big league talent to supplement what they are growing through the form.
1: And I think, look, it's completely valid to say this year was not the year to do it. There's no question. You know, The A's who potentially could have maybe contended this year, you can say they probably should have done it, maybe not you know, the Braves are still a year away and you can say, it's okay, you know, they didn't do this year, they want to value another, but there will be a point they're going to have to. And that again comes back to the time. When I say the Rays and Marlins are, need to add someone, doing so right now does not make sense. But when their talent spikes start happening and the Rays, you know, you're hoping it's two to three years and the Marlins you are probably looking more like a four to five year timeline. At those points, they are going to have to make a move mm-hmm. to start spending a little bit. And, again, spending a little, you know, there's there's a line, again, doing what the Marlins did a few years back where they went and splurged on Jose Reyes and Mark Burley and Heath Bell and spent all this money. Look, you have to spend on the right players, and you have to do it at the right time. Spending and bringing in a key veteran or two does not automatically do it. It just all the successful but, ones have done it. So you, you know at some point you're going to have to, and if you refuse to, it won't, it won't okay. work. It might not pan out but, even if you do, but you still need to do it to really have any shot at it working. Moving on
0: to the next point, which I think yes. is a, a key one here, is is that you also looked at how long this takes. And I thought that was very interesting as well. I mean, again, looking at past performance, we're really talking about that you should think of this as 5 to Five to six years, really, isn't
1: it? Yes. So, again, we're not talking about the Yankees who traded two two relievers and brought up some young talent. Like, we're not talking but about... But they had a
0: one-year blip, basically.
1: Right. We're not talking about... You know, there are teams who do things, you know, who go down a little bit and they can be good again the next year. That's that's not we're what talking we're talking from about. Starting from, we're talking about the teams that strip it down, trade
0: everyone. What's the timeline? The Marlins, if you're along those lines, the Marlins are in year one of this. The Marlins... Had a outfield last year. They weren't great, but they had an outfield of Ozuna, Yelich, and Stanton. And they're this year going to have an outfield of Brinson, uh, Sierra, and, and Carlos Gomez. Cameron Maben, if uh, or, or no, no Not sorry, Carlos and, Gomez. Reyes, Maben, Maben, and Cameron Maben. They've stripped it down, and so they're starting the process. So um, you they, know, they're 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 as far away. The Royals are kind of starting the process.
1: So. What we found when looking at the timeline, from the the year that you start stripping, that it's all stripped down, it's five seasons from that point. So in the Astros case, they really stripped it down 2011 was kind of the the big hurrah. So you the count mid-season 2011, uh, Pence. Pence. So mid-season, they had, they had started. I was going like to say, because mid- you
0: could even say the 10, because they started to... They were a really
1: bad team in, in 2011, they, they were already a 56-win yeah. team. I, I sort of, you know, in terms of like that, it's it's all gone. Yeah. From the time, it's all gone, okay. I should say. Five seasons from that point is the first time you can really expect to be competitive. Now, with the Astros, you can say, okay, it happened in 2011, so you count 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, that fifth season, 2015, was the first time they were really good again. Mm-hmm. Um, we found this with, you know, again, the Indians case. They traded CeCe Sabathia in 2008. Two, 2009 is when they really stripped it all down with Cliff Lee and Victor Martinez and a lot of the other guys as well. Again, oh, count the 09 season when they, during the time they stripped down, 10, 11, 12, 13. They made that, that wild card game. That's, again, the fifth year. It really is, for five. I shouldn't say five years because you count the year it starts as kind of a zero. So it's five seasons from the time that you've pretty much stripped it all down to the time you should really reasonably expect to be good again. And I think a lot of fans think of their total teardowns as two- to three-year resets. What we really found is when you tear it down to that level, there is no two- or three-year reset. Two- or three-year reset is, okay, our third baseman's getting expensive, One of our outfielders, you know, our one starter's getting a little old. We're going to trade these two or three guys, but we're going to keep, you know, four or five core pieces. That's what the two to three year, hey, we had a down year, you know, gave it a year for a guy to come back, and by the next year we're really good. That's what a two to three year, you know, reset is. The full strip downs that we've seen a lot of these teams do over the years, what the Phillies did, what the Braves did, what the Padres did, what the Rays have done, what the A's did a few years ago. Again, all the way back to Indians, you know, post-2009 Pirates. It's five seasons. And I think it's something where, again, teams, I think, you know, some of it's season ticket holders, want to placate them. Some of it's, you know, fans and GMs trying to put a rosy spin on some things. But it just doesn't happen. It takes time for draft picks to matriculate, for international science to matriculate. And sometimes you get the guys to the majors fairly quickly, but it takes two or three years, especially for the case of pitchers, to get them really performing at a level that's conducive to winning consistently at the major league level, getting four or five of them to be doing so, I should say. So I think that was another big takeaway that the strip down, let's restart, is never a two to three year rebuild. It's a five season. And that's the best case scenarios.
0: I mean, it, you know, again, I would, I would not say that there's never going to be a case going forward where someone does it quicker than that because it's always possible. But, but, but to, to date. To date, when you're looking at the rebuilds, that's been the, the standard. And again, we also see other teams. It's hard to say a starting date on the Royals because they were really bad. But I think it's fair to say you were really at year seven before you started to see any green shoots of, of them showing improvement.
1: And sometimes sometimes it's tough because there are times teams
0: are just genuinely bad. When you if you're tanking, the reason you're tanking is is A, your owner gets happy because they're saving a gazillion dollars at the big league level. But B, you're getting the top draft picks. Well the things with that is is that even in a good situation, the Astros draft Carlos Correa 1-1 in 2012, and he is an exceptional proves to be an exceptional player. And he proves to be a fast mover. That said, draft him in 2012, and he's here you go, and he's part of your team. You know, several years later, 2015 year, and and that's and he's one of the fastest. and that's a fast for a high fast, school pack. fast. That's to put a- to put it in same, another example, like the same the twins, who again are in good shape now, they draft Byron Buxton that same draft, and. Byron Buxton may end up never being as good as Carlos Correa, but Byron Buxton's become becoming a very useful player. But it's he goes into 2018. Years.
1: It'll be six years in, from his
0: draft year. Exactly. You know, again, Chris Bryant moved really fast. Absolutely thumbs up for the Cubs. Not everyone very, you know, a yeah. lot of guys don't move that. And the Cubs have done a good job because they focus on college hitters. Right. Chris Bryant, Ian Happ, Kyle Shorber have all moved really quickly. But even with that, but that's the, to, to get us to our, to our final point that I think was key that you talked about is this is that you can do everything about right, and then the timing can just screw you up, can it? And that, I think,
1: was the, the most interesting thing to me, was looking back at certain teams that you look at the names on paper and say, how did this team not win four or five division titles? How did it not become a, a superpower And the most common theme that came up was that they had this really good crop of position players and a really interesting core of young pitchers, and they brought them up all at the same time. And the hitters adapted and acclimated and were good, you know, within that first year or two. And the pitchers, it was a struggle they couldn't get. And by the time—it took the pitchers four or five years to really be effective major league starters— And by the time that happened, those hitters were gone. They had been traded. They had gone from being 24, 23, 24 and really good to 29 and 30 and being, you know, starting to slow down a little bit. Uh, The the biggest example I saw from this was the Blue Jays of the mid to late 90s, in that they had had those back to back World Mm -hmm. Series in 1993, 94, 95. They fell off. So they, they rebuilt it a little bit of a different way where you know, they let you know, Al Leiter and David Cohn and Roberto Alomar and John Oliver, they mostly, it was mostly letting them go. But the talent base they had you know, come up through their system.
0: I mean Sean Green, Carlos Delgado.
1: Sean Green, Carlos Delgado, Roy Halladay, Chris Carpenter, Kelvin Escobar, Alex Gonzalez, Shannon Stewart, Billy Koch, all those guys. And then they followed that, that, that group up with Vernon Wells, Alex Rios, Aaron Hill. I mean, all these guys who were also future All-Stars. What happened was they brought all these position players up, and the pitchers, Carpenter, Halliday, Escobar, they were all in the major together from 98 to 2002, and then Carpenter got hurt. They never jibed together. And I remember I talked to Gord Ash, and he mentioned, you know, the A's had Hudson, Zito, and Mulder. Yeah. You know, Halliday, Carpenter, and Escobar were every bit as talented, but they were never good together. Um, and that came up where by the time, hey, they had Sean Green and Carlos Delgado and this amazing offensive juggernaut. And by the time all those guys figured it out, well, Sean Green had been traded for a Royal Mondesi. Chris Carpenter never figured it out with Toronto. It took a few years. Um, you know, even going back to the Expos, uh, a lot of people talk about 1994 as being the death of the Expos. When I went back and looked in '98, '96, they went 88 and 74. They were two games out of the wild card. They had again this ridiculous group coming up: Vlad Guerrero, Jose Vidro, and uh, Brad Fulmer, And they had this; they made some trades again. Pedro Martinez' deal was one of them. Mike Lansing was another. Henry Rodriguez was another. And they hit on it in the sense the pitchers they got: Carl Pavano, Ted Lilly, Jake Westbrook. These guys became all stars, but they were all acquired in 1997, 1998. They became all stars in 2004, by which time. Guerrero's gone Fulmer's gone Vidro is either gone or close to gone at the very end and for the record those three guys who became all-stars all became all-stars for different teams then Javier Vasquez who again struggled for a bit when all those guys were in their prime by the time he kind of hit his prime again it didn't match up the timing didn't match up and so I think really for a lot of teams you can have this talent base but if you've got to time it right and I think what we see fairly consistently It's the pitchers who aren't timing it right with the hitters, if that makes sense. Um, You know, the A's coming together as they did in those early 2000s, they're almost the exception to the rule in that Zito and Mulder and Hudson were all good pretty quickly right away. But again, by that point, Eric Chavez, Miguel Tejada, Jason Giambi were all in the majors performing. They brought up some other young position players you know, people talk about, well, the Giants relied on pitching for their rebuild. And that, they didn't really rebuild because they were in the World Series in '02. They just had a few down years. They never, like, strip-mined full mm-hmm. rebuild. And they did. They can't. I they, mean, they, from, they, a, from
0: a stadium perspective. And they, they, had,
1: and they had a, um, you know, and they, to their credit, in a five-draft period, drafted Matt Cain, Tim Lincecum, Madison Bumgar, and Jonathan Sanchez. Four guys in five drafts. That's incredible.
0: And then topped out a Buster pose.
1: But that's the thing. They, followed, they, they then followed it up. With Buster Posey, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, had Pablo Sandoval out of their international um, program. Joe Panic. So yes, they had this great rotation. They then followed it up with an MVP and four All Stars positionally. Hard to do, right? So and, and thus they won three World Series. But again, I think what we what I found a lot of this was you can do everything right, but if you don't time it right. It's it's not going to work. But you've got to get your guys peaking at the right time. It can't just be you brought in talent. You have to time it so that the talent is developed, so they're hitting their peaks at the same time. And most of the time, that's where if your rebuild is relying on pitching, it gets a little sketchier as opposed to the rebuilds who built really with position players. And then they had you have to have good pitching, but so again, that's the
0: fascinating. Again, we and we you know to, to kind of wrap this up. Going back to we have our number one farm system, the Braves, which do have. I mean Ronald Acuna, Ronald Acuna has a chance. The Acuna, Freddie Freeman, and then you throw in the Ozzy Albies, in there and CRTs around them, that could be enough. I mean it's not like you're saying that they're not. They don't have position players that they're Austin Riley could join that, but it is a lot of pitching, and if those guys take. I, 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 th- I think
1: the Braves are in a little better shape because they've brought up Newcomb and Fultonowicz and Gohara already. But, but I definitely think you look at the names of, of you know some of the, the pitchers that, again, those Expos teams brought up, those Blue Jays teams brought up, some of these other teams brought up, and their talent was every bit as good as, and, and frankly, in a lot of cases, superior to what we see some of the pitching prospects in some of our current organizations have. And it's just a matter of, and again, it's not that those pitchers didn't eventually become solid pitchers. It just, you know, they didn't come up and it didn't happen in two years. It took five years, six years. And it's more so for the guys who were high school and international pitchers. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, Halliday, Carpenter, Escobar, high school guys, high school internationals. Whereas, you know, Mulder, uh, Hudson, and Zito were college pitchers. That's another reason why they worked a little faster. So if you're relying on a bunch of arms – who were for the most part high school and international drafts, whether you acquire them via trade, draft, your own signings, whatever, it's going to take longer for them to be good and effective in the majors than you think it will. And you have to make sure that your hitters are still on the team and peaking because we've seen it before. A lot of times by the time those guys click, the other guys are gone. If
0: you're interested in this, go to BaseballAmerica.com. We have uh, up on the new website, we have – uh, a, a deep dive on this that Kyle wrote, the, uh, the main story, the cover story from the, the most recent issue, the Major League Preview. We think you'll enjoy it. We think you'll uh, find a lot to chew on there, a lot even further than what we were able to cover here on the podcast. But we do want to thank you for the download. We do want to thank you for the listen. And we thank you for tuning in because today's podcast is sponsored by Baseballism. Visit Baseballism.com for the best parallel in baseball. And hear the code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P and you can save 20% on your order. For Kyle, I'm JJ. We'll be back again soon. So long, everybody.